welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, John Scardina. Another disaster tough experience over here where we're going to be talking about three things that schools need in order to help them become better at emergency management and best practice. So let me just set up the stage here. I've had the wonderful opportunity with Doberman Emergency Management to go and work with different universities and campuses around the country. We even pulled in some of our friends from the UK who are doing this as well and hearing from their perspective. And so we've been doing a lot of work on how to do this right and what is reasonable for administrators and part-time staff all the way through a full program with multiple emergency managers full-time, the whole deal. And really what has been coming out is that there's been three or four different areas which are shockingly, what's the word for it? Maybe uh, lacking. Like there's three areas that everybody should have that they haven't been doing. And we want to help them get there as fast as humanly possible. And so just setting the stage here, uh, when I came back from a school district, I don't know, only four or five months ago, I was writing all these notes down on a plane and saying, okay, why are we missing this? Why are we missing that? What are some of the pros and cons? And uh, started thinking about the assumptions that were being made by administrators and all these things. And as I went through through different campuses, I found that this is happening over and over and over again. And I want to overcome that issue uh, with you guys right now here on the podcast. So if you want to be disaster tough, if you want to make your school program disaster tough, here are three areas of which I think that we could all improve on, which will make all of our lives much easier on all the other stuff. So just to be fair, um, I'm assuming that most places have some idea of what an EOP is, emergency operations plan, and have something basic with SROs and, and with that whole shtick. So uh, here are three areas that we don't really focus on in schools that if we start focusing on, will make everybody's lives easier. Here we go. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapsed and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. Okay, let's jump back in. All right, number one is a GIS-based hazard vulnerability assessment. If you know anything about emergency operations plan, you know you got to start with your HVA. What happens though a lot of time is that people will start putting in assumptions without looking up the data. And so this is a really big call out to look up the data and to spend a little bit of time and learning and some resource to put that all together on mapping and analytic products. And I'm going to tell you why this is going to help you out so much. So when you're working with administrators who are excellent at their job, and are kind of wondering what you're supposed to be doing in your job. When you say things like, hey, I'm going to present you my all hazards plan. This is based off of my opinion. What you're relaying over to them potentially is, I'm a doomsday prepper who thinks all things are going to happen all the time. That vernacular all hazards plan isn't really helping you out. 
But what can help you out is if you show up with uh, either a printed map or with um, even better with a screen and say, hey, let me show you about uh, everything about our community that some things you might be aware of, some things you're not. Here's a wildfire uh, threat. Here is our aging critical infrastructure. Here are the um, the crime rates. And I think on another podcast, I went to all in on about hazard vulnerability assessments. So I won't go into everything, but really there should be 30 or 40 different hazards that you're looking at that <clears throat> could impact your campus. Some very obvious, some not very obvious, and some you can just throw away. The more that you can throw away to the administrators, lets them know that you're thinking about this analytically. You get a lot of points by saying, hey, we live 2,000 miles away from the volcano. We're not going to focus on volcanoes here. But we have a high crime rate right next to one of our schools in the school district. I think we should, be, should we, we should be focusing on that and putting some resources towards that area. And that allows them to work with you to figure out the most reasonable solution based off of the resources they have. It also allows you to validate as you're going through. So putting together a hazard vulnerability assessment that is geospatially backed or analytically backed with some data really can help you move forward, not only on the EOP side, which obviously will help you out, but with your administrators. Even better, if it is GIS backed, then you can make your maps live, meaning you can pair that static data with active live feeds like wind, for example. There's a wildfire, but the wind is headed towards the other direction. Fire marshal says, you, or the, the fire department says you don't need to evacuate, you're fine. But if there's like a maybe there and the wind's heading towards your direction, maybe you want to talk about evacuation, right? So <clears throat> putting together a hazard vulnerability assessment that turns into your SIT board or situational awareness board that allows the administrators to, to make decisions for themselves and see the data also will back you up you know, constantly, hey, I'm not making this decision. This isn't just my professional opinion. While that does have a lot of weight, here's all the data that backs up what I'm saying. And so you can go in there with the qualitative and the quantitative, you know, perspectives and really just knock it out. It's also really hard for people to say no once they see it. They're kind of doing the shock and awe for the, the you know, the picture stuff because they want to see the picture stuff. But they also look at you now as a true professional. So Investing some time into resources to learn how to do a GIS-based hazard vulnerability assessment will pay off dividends for you. So that's one. Number two, reunification plan. Some people do look at reunification plans, but they're not very effective. And we do this thing when we go to schools. We always ask the administrators or the emergency management staff. We always ask them the same question, right? It is, do you have a reunification plan? Yes or no? Usually it's no, but sometimes it's yes. And the second question is, do you share that reunification plan with the parents or guardians? And it's always no. And some people like to give the fluff answer of like, well, we don't want to share our plan with everybody because just in case. But everybody basically knows that if something's happening inside the school, you're going to take the kids out of the school when that happens, right? Most likely to the football field, right? You're going to the, the place where people naturally congregate. So you're not really giving anybody, any of the bad guys, any information. But what you are doing is you're helping the parents and guardians realize that if they show up and there's no plan, they haven't been given any information, if there's a tornado or otherwise, and they're showing up that during the aftermath, then it's going to be pure chaos. 
But what you're doing there when you do create a reunification plan, not only are you getting organized as a school or a school district or university, which is phenomenal, um, but you're also allowing the parents and guardians to realize that, hey, somebody's in charge here. I don't need to become in charge. <coughs> so when you're putting that together, make sure you're thinking about the sharing of that reunification plan. What is logical based off of different hazards? Is it a tornado, tornadic event? Is it, uh, you know, a flood that's going to come in? Is it an active shooter? We all don't want to think about the active shooter, but it's something we all have to plan for now, right? There's a whole other podcast we could do about that. But in terms of the reunification plan, one, create it, define your roles and responsibilities, two, share it with the parents. I think a great idea that we've seen, um, and big shout out to Marshall County School District in Alabama, is before tornado season, they bring all their parents and teachers in, um, the students, everybody in a big conference at night on a parent-teacher night, and they talk about, hey, what did we do during hurricane season or, or tornado season, rather? And when they go and talk to them, the school district gets up and says, hey, in your home, you need to have X, Y, and Z. You need to have a tornado shelter. You need to go in your basement. You need to think about uh, turning on a weather radio. And they go in some, some of the details on what individual readiness can look like. However, it's also a fantastic opportunity to say, hey, and by the way, if anything happens at the school, let, let you, here's what we are doing to protect your students. We do the fire drills. We do the tornado drills. We are teaching your kids about this stuff. <clears throat> and if anything ever happens, here's this big old map that we're going to show up on the screen here. Here's the football field. We expect parents to come in through this, this direction, right? We will direct you towards the football field to pick up your student. That is a fantastic thing for them. It lets them breathe a little bit easier saying, hey, the school is thinking about this. They're well organized. I don't have to step in. I don't have to you know, uh, interrupt the response, which could make things much worse. And it allows the, the parents to kind of cool off. It also gives um, this presence of um, authority and you want that authority as much as possible. Okay, uh, without being that one too much. Uh, the third one is mass notification policy. A lot of people have mass notification software. Nobody knows how to use it. We work with multiple... Uh, mass notifications companies, whether it's Everbridge or Genesis or, you know, one of the other ones. And they all basically say the same thing. This is public knowledge. 70% of their customers leave. And it's because they never used it. They never used it and then left. They didn't even test it because everybody's afraid to press that button. Well, if you look at Maui and Hawaii and my podcast about that, my whole thing is, hey, you want to be able to press that button and give that authority to do that. So, what I would focus on is not just the software component and becoming an expert in that software, but create a policy that allows you to use that. And so that you can <clears throat> not inundate uh, people with uh, more messages than are needed, but you're also providing information if something does happen. Really big shout out to Nat Sellers, who's another podcaster on our network. During an active shooter at a campus that he worked at, he sent out a message every 15 minutes that was relevant from like 10.15 till noon the next day. And I think we talked about that on another podcast. It's because he had a policy in place. He knew that if he sent out constant messaging, which was exhausting for him at 15 minutes, that's sending it out. So you have to do all the prep work. So prep work, send it out. Prep work, send it out. 15 minutes, every 15 minutes 
for like 14 hours straight. Exhausting for him. But guess what? He saved a lot of lives by doing that. By keep, keeping people informed and in the same spot and make sure they didn't you know, open the doors for you know, potential harm and letting the officers do their job. That policy that he put in place saved lives. And when people don't have a policy, chaos is created. So with the mass notification policy, I would recommend is putting in a decision-making matrix. A really basic to explain it is an if-then statement. If uh, certain conditions are met, then you are going to send out this message. And it should be a templated message. You already know what's going to be put in there. If this happens, then you're going to do this other thing. And so if you can go through your hazard vulnerability assessment, creating your annexes for uh, your uh, emergency operations plan, then you can create templates for your mass notifications, a tornadic event, severe weather, blizzard, whatever it may be. But I would really focus on making sure you have a very strong policy so that somebody who is in communications for the district or for the university, for example, can't insert themselves and say, hey, you need to give me the only authority because I don't trust that you're going to send out the right message. Uh-uh. We already put this decision-making matrix in place. Here are the conditions that you agreed on. If X, Y, and Z happens, we're going to send out this message. And then they're on the same page. Like, hey, you're right. I agreed to that. We're just going to do that. Right? And so you can get everybody on the same page internally without being afraid of what you're going to send out and how you're going to do it. Again, this is all about building confidence within your internal group your administrators who may oversee the emergency management program. Again, I'm going to say all three of these things here again, just um, in rapid fire, a GIS based hazard vulnerability assessment, a reunification plan that is shared with parents, at least in um, some form, right? Pamphlet or otherwise. And then uh, the third one is a mass notification policy with a decision-making matrix. A really easy example, again, on that last one is um, a snow event. If we have this many inches of snow on the ground, we cancel school. And we send out a message. Boom. Very easy. If that condition isn't met or if the, the weather channel or whomever you're trying to get your uh, math, uh, like national weather service, whomever you get your weather information from, if they don't put in those conditions, then you don't have to worry about it. Right. And so taking a lot of that burden off of the thinking process is great for you. Right. But also getting people on the same page with you and getting, getting them excited about what you're doing and trusting your decision making will pay off dividends in so many different areas. When you come up to them and say, hey, you know, flu season's coming up. I think we should spend, you know, 500 to $1,000 on some extra signage around the campus to remind people to, to wash their hands. They're going to be like, oh, OK, that's probably a good, a good idea. Right. They're going to trust you. Or if something's happening where they want to build a new arm of their campus somewhere. And they're like, hey, you know what? Uh, we've done a lot of work on the um, on the layout here. Let's pull in our emergency manager and uh, see what they have to say about it. And he or she can be like, hey, uh, you know, let's think about sheltering in place and, and putting up some signage in the building and making sure some of these uh, locations within the building can match that uh, so we can do that. Or if you really want to go really big, Hey, we want an emergency operations center. Doesn't need to be, you know, the size of Cal OES, which is a beautiful uh, emergency operations center, by the way. But <clears throat> you can go in there and be like, hey, we need a room, a dedicated room with some TVs and um, uh, a couple computers and, and the whole deal where we can all congregate and uh, to make these uh, real time decisions with. 
and they might be able to do that for you. So again, three things that everybody needs, GIS has a vulnerability assessment, reunification plan, and uh, mass notification policy. So if you want to use Doberman for that, please reach out to us. We are happy to help. Otherwise, as you're going through, if you have questions about any of that, happy to help. Uh, reach out, uh, send an send a email to uh, contact at thereadinesslab.com, or you can send um, me like a DM on LinkedIn or something, and I might be able to put, um, send you to a great resource like I Love You Guys Foundation or something like that. So um, as you're moving forward in this process, remember the mission, uh, be disaster tough, save lives, save, sustain life, and you need people to help you in order to do that. So uh, these are three things that will help you do that. And we will see you for the next one. Peace. Peace.